Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Greetings. Welcome back to Thread, episode 72. I'm Chuck Quinley. We're here on the Thread podcast. Thread is a leadership podcast. So if you're trying to lead a life of influence at home or at work or in school, or if you're leading a ministry, that's what Thread is all about. We're trying to bring you spiritual food from God's Word with a verse-by-verse Bible study to get the principles uh, of, of the way God sees things drilled down into our hearts so we can pass those on to His people. We're in the book of Acts studying the patterns of the early church and being instructed in how to, how to prepare our own churches these days so we can walk in fellowship with God and enjoy the great power that was behind the early church. So if you don't have a Bible, run, get one, and come right back for this week's episode of Thread. We're in Acts chapter 2. Okay, we're back in Acts chapter 2. Let me read the passage where we left off last time. We'll start in verse 42 and read down to the end. I'm reading the NIV. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It's a pattern of early believers. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Today's episode is about a church that is free from the love of money. We talked last time about these first two characteristics of being devoted in verse 42, devoted to the apostles' teaching and devoted to fellowship. And now we're going to go on to the third one, devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, uh, imagine the impact of 3,000 people being publicly baptized. That's how this passage starts. 3,000 have stepped out of the crowd. They've stepped away from what their family expected them to do, and they've embraced the gospel, and they've embraced uh, the kingdom of God message. And they have found that they're not alone, that there are others, hundreds, who have also accepted Christ and are walking on that road. And they find a very sweet uh, power in a thing called fellowship. And I just praise God for it. I'm in Bangladesh recording this episode. I'm with some brothers I won't mention. And we're just looking into ways to uh, assist them as they expand their media ministry here uh, among these precious people. And, you know, just to sit together for hours during this time that I'm here and just talk about the Lord, talk about where He has brought us from, stimulate each other's faith, pray for one another. There's just a power in that. I mean, we're not listening to sermons and we're not reading our Bibles. We're just talking. But, you know, I remember that passage in the Scripture that says, then... In Malachi, they who, who knew the Lord spoke often to each other. And the scripture says the Lord 
heard it and wrote it down in a book of remembrance. You know, God is listening. And there's an anointing just as we have table fellowship with brothers. And so this scripture said that, you know, they devoted themselves to being taught the scriptures. And they devoted themselves to fellowship, the koinonia, hanging out with the brotherhood. And they devoted themselves to breaking bread, to just eating food together. Uh, I guess this includes communion, but I think a lot of it is just table fellowship, sharing meals with one another, the sweet relationships that are being built in the body of Christ. They're not a side thing, and it's not a little bonus gift. It's the core of our ministry ability because bonding is the first principle in ministry. And a life-giving church and a life-giving ministry flows out of the strength of the relationships within that church. You can't say, well, you know, we don't really know each other that well and don't want to know, but man, we love God and his word has power. And, you know, it's true. God's word has power. But when we don't have unity among us, there's a hindrance to the flow of God's power. So this early church group, they understood they needed to spend time with each other They needed to share meals. They needed to uh, invest in being part of the brotherhood. And then finally, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. Um, You know, we thank God for the uh, example that Korean churches and Chinese churches have been to the world in taking prayer seriously. Uh, You know, it always amazes me that you can go to a, a worship service on a Sunday in many places in the world, and and you never pray. It's almost like they're afraid for there to be a, uh, a dead space, you know, any kind of just quiet in the house. They have to fill it. So someone's got to be making announcements or showing a video or preaching or singing or just do something, and then someone else will pray for us. We call it the pastoral prayer. And he'll come stand up front and he'll pray, but we don't pray. And I think we need to claim that back and say, well, you know, in the kind of church life I want, I want that if it's going to be the end of the church, that's fine. But let's just pray. I can remember as a child how important prayer was in our churches. It was the main reason you went to church Sunday night because Sunday morning, you know, had a, a normal schedule. But Sunday night, wow, we just, you'd have preaching and singing, but we were going to be on our knees for a long time every Sunday night. We need that. We need to reclaim it. And here we see the rhythm of early Pentecostalism and their cycle. It starts with a powerful event. God does something in his power and might. And that's followed by a process of growth. They don't try to hype the event, and they're not trying to have another upper room experience every single time they meet. And they don't expect to be able to schedule uh you know, God to show up in all these ways, God shows up when God shows up, and we show up, uh, and we have our fellowship, and we have our singing to him, and we have our worship of him, and we just want him to know we love him. But there's a process of growing in between these spiritual mountaintop experiences. So you don't need to go chasing crusades all over the world and follow a certain preacher from city to city. You know, if he comes to your town and it's a really big deal and God really moves, Hallelujah. Soak it up. Enjoy that moment. Now get back to real life and and let that growth, if that was something God did in you, let it consolidate. Let it take root inside of you. 
Well, they were growing, and we know they were growing, and we can see so many signs of it. First of all, it says that this blanket of awe and godly fear came upon the church. They recognized that God's presence had drawn near their group, and all the times that they were together, they could just sense and feel the presence of God. They had times of worship, and there would be a holy hush, you know, if you've ever been in those services when it's like the Lord himself is manifesting his presence in the room and you reverence him and you bow down to God and miracles began to flow because of this godly fear. They had miracles and I want you to notice the miracles were done in public. You know, we if you want to see more miracles in your ministry, let me just say this, do your praying in public places. Uh, don't expect that the sick come to church and there they get healed and it's a wonderful testimony. Well, it's a testimony to the church. But if the sick get healed on a job site or the sick get healed in a restaurant or the sick get healed in someone's family in their house when they tell you a problem, that's a whole nother kind of glory to God. And most early church miracles and most of Jesus recorded miracles did not take place inside a church or religious building of any kind. They took place in public areas where they were seen by everybody who was around. And I think that is also instructive for us, how much more impact when we see miracles that way. Now, I want to get to verse 44, because this is the acid test. Okay, you're having great times of fellowship. You're enjoying your times of prayer. You love your Bible study. But here comes the acid test. It's time to test the early church and see about the sincerity of their faith, the sincerity of their discipleship. And look at how they pass the test in verse 44. All believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. That is radical. You know, the test of money, that lets you know where your true values are. Scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus gave money the name of a god. He called it mammon. And he said, you cannot serve God and money. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You know, their radical openness to God has changed their perspective on money. And it changed their, perspe- their perspective on status and security and material things. I never forget a quote uh, Charles Gherkin spoke in our class when I was in seminary. And he said this, and I didn't even have to write it down. It went in my head so quickly. He said, The church is always seduced by the culture in which it is embedded. The church is always seduced by the culture in which it is embedded. And I thought, you know, wow, that is so real. You know, you know it's real. You know the gospel is real, and you know the kingdom has really come in your life when it dethrones money, because they heard the teachings of Jesus, just as we've heard it. They heard the doctrines. They saw the lifestyle, because you get a lot of the doctrines of Jesus that come through his lifestyle, and uh, and they took it to heart. And so here they go. They're selling their properties. They're selling their land. They're dividing up the money, and the money is being given to those who have needs. You know, they're showing their integrity, that they are true believers. And you can tell because money you know, is being just put on the table. It's no longer the Lord of their life. 
it is a tool in their hands and they're willing to hold it or spend it or share it or loan it or, you know, they're just free with it. And it's like a rocket booster and it's gained, they're gaining so much momentum. I want you to notice too, this early church, because they did not have a focus on buildings, almost all their tithe money can go right into ministry and not into mortgages. These church buildings, we use them a couple of hours a week, and they suck up so much of our energy and so much of our tithe money. And we need to get a little backstory on what's going on here. Remember on the day of Pentecost, the scripture says they were gathered in Jerusalem for a Jewish festival from nations all over the world. And so they've gathered there, and that's when the Holy Spirit falls, and that's when 3,000 of these people get baptized. And they enter the kingdom of God. They enter God's people. They enter the church, the koinonia, the fellowship, the ecclesia, the the church, the called out ones. They enter that and they become part of a new thing. Well, the festival's over in a couple of days. And as you know, they would think to return, it appears that the stress in the New Testament church was, no, don't go back. You don't even know what you believe yet. You have to stay here. You've had a real experience with God and you know it's real, but you need us to teach you the ways of Jesus. And so that many people now enter the Jerusalem economy and there aren't jobs. And you know, we're told later that this number you know, swelled up and we had then 5,000. And so we really can't count when you go to you know, the women and the children and you add it, it's a sizable number of people in a pretty small town and their needs uh, cannot be absorbed by the economy, they can't get jobs, they can't do business. And so the believers, they feel a a scriptural imperative. These guys are here. They need to stay here and be trained in God's ways. They need food. They need places to stay. Here, take my land. And, you know, here goes somebody who sells his land and brings it in. And it starts a movement among the disciples. Now, we're not told anywhere else in scripture to uh, live in a a communal way as far as uh, you don't see other churches being told to sell their things. And there don't appear to have been any apostolic instructions that people should start selling their things. They just did. The Holy Spirit told them to do things individually, and they just started doing these things. They continue now uh, freely sharing all their things with each other, and they're having their daily public gatherings in Jerusalem, And they're holding their meetings in the temple, right where Jesus declared, my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. And they now have one mind, and they're now breaking bread in the houses. And the scripture says they're enjoying their life. They're loving these days. They're living with gladness and with simplicity of heart. They don't have a complicated heart. They don't have a heart that's filled with all kinds of things. It's a simple heart. Verse 47 says, and they were just living their life in worship. And they're, they're, it's the worship of the way you treat people. It's the worship of singing to the Lord. It's the worship of sharing your faith everywhere you go. But it's uh, very attractive to the people in the city. They're, they're amazed at it. These are attractive believers. They're living examples of how God wants us, wants us to live with him while we're in this world. And verse 47 says, the Lord was adding to their numbers. I think it's pretty important, too, to keep a focus on the Lord was adding to their numbers versus a marketing campaign. 
was adding to their numbers or the new gym or the kids' romper room was adding to their numbers. These people weren't coming because the building was cool or they had a play place for the kids or it was real easy to get to or they had ample parking. See, people do go to churches for all those reasons, but those are not disciples. And to turn a consumer into a disciple is a really hard road. The entry to the church in the New Testament was conversion. It was not a, a, you know, that we treat them as consumers and we give them a better deal than anybody else. And then gradually we hope they'll find Christ in this process. That isn't how they saw it. You didn't come at all until you came to Christ. Now you're in Christ, you're in. I'm not saying be a, a less than friendly church. I'm just saying their focus was you were in the group because of your relationship with God. That's what brought you there. They were overt about what this group was. But what a group. You know, the Jerusalem church had this sweetness and this dynamic, life-altering power because everyone in it was feeding from their direct relationship with God. And they were filled with this Holy Spirit that he was pouring out. The church wasn't the focus. Their, you know, their program wasn't the focus. Christ was the focus. And they poured their individual and corporate energies into sharing the gospel, welcoming outsiders into their sweet, loving, selfless fellowship. And for me, that's the church I want to be part of, and I want to sacrifice for that church. I think it's really important that we examine the place that money and status and wealth has on us as believers, looking at the example of this passage now. You know, would you sell your extra car and just give the money away to alleviate a need? These people had no pension plan, All they had was trust and love and liberty. And they owned or sold or gave things away. And you know know what's really cool is an after note on this. In 70 AD, the Roman army surrounded the city of Jerusalem, where all this took place. And they tore it to the ground. They killed the people inside of it. But as far as we know, no Christians died in that attack because they received a prophecy in their worship time. And the prophecy was, thus says the Lord, Flee this city, I will destroy it. And because they had no things, they had no hesitation. And so they walked out the doors of the city as a group. They went to a place called Pella and established themselves a living place and got out just before the curtain fell around Jerusalem and the city was destroyed. Their freedom, their generosity, their uh, intimate connection with the Lord through his Holy Spirit not only saved their soul, but it saved their life and it allowed them to continue on. A lot to think about, a lot to compare ourselves to, and to raise our standards as we look to be a church that captures the same essence as that early church. I'd love to hear from you directly, chuck at quinley.com. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show and to visit our Facebook page. We'll see you next time for more On Threads.